to go into the study tonight of Hosea 14, that we are the good remnant in the earth. This, this message might be a prophetic message, I'm not sure. Can we bring those lights up just a little bit, um, or, or just leave them, that's fine. Are y'all okay? Y'all fine? And um, some of you didn't notice, but last week I left out the last few verses of Hosea chapter 13, and it's to set this up. Just to give you a little bit of recap of what was going on last week and talking about the good favor, basically the people of Israel, really throughout the entire Bible, but they're being pretty stubborn. They were being stubborn in the idea that God wanted them to be revealed as his. God wanted them to walk and live in such a way that when people saw Israel, they saw God. And that is essentially where God is taking us as a house, really the church at large, is that if we are simply following the Lord, then there is actually a revealing of who he is in who we are. The people of Israel are being stubborn to this. They're not being revealed as the people of God. And God starts to talk, talk to them as if it's like coming out of the womb, a baby coming out of the womb. He's telling them, he's like, you're not coming out the womb. You must love all this pain because you're staying in. You're not being revealed. If you remember what's going on, is God is telling them, he's like, hey, I want you to come out of the womb. I want you to be birthed. I want the true you to come alive. I want the true you to be seen. And the reason I'm giving you all of this pain, the reason I'm allowing you to endure all of this pain and wrath is I'm hoping that the pain will cause you to be revealed as mine. We hear, let's turn these lights up a little bit. I can't do this. This is too dark. <clears throat> what happens in life is that we go, we go through some, some pain, if you will. We go through some bad things that happen. And it's really easy to say, why did God let that happen and almost blame God for the pain? But God says, I'm allowing it to happen, not that I ever wanted it for you, but I'm hoping that if I allow the pain to come to you, then the pain will cause you to get out of the place you are and be revealed as mine. And he even says that the fruit of being revealed is joy because pain comes in the night, but joy comes in the morning, right? But if you stay in the womb, if you refuse to be revealed, if you refuse to be revealed as, as far as a son of God or as a daughter of God in this earth right now, then what happens is God says, fine, endure the pain because I'm hoping my pain will cause you to cry out for me. And in verse 14... He talks about this pain a little bit of Hosea 13, 14. He says, should I ransom them from the grave? Should I redeem them from death? Oh, death, bring on your terrors. Oh, grave, bring on your plagues. I will not take pity on them. Dang, God. Most accurately, those words, should I, should I, are actually, I will. God is saying, I will not take pity on you. I will redeem you. But I'm going to let death be revealed in plagues and grave be revealed in destruction. He says, I'm not going to totally wipe you out. 
but I will allow the pain to come for you to turn your cry to me instead of crying out to Baal. I'm going to allow the pain to come, the grave, the death, the plagues, the destruction. I'm going to allow you to go through it because I want your cry to come out in a recognition that you need me. And I just prophesy if the people of God would start to cry out to him, death and destruction would no longer win in our lives. God is the only one who would have the victory because a people would begin to cry out to him instead of accepting the reality of death and grave. God even talks about this in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 15, 55. He says, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? God says, I will allow these things to come at you because you're operating out of order and you live outside of my hand, but they have no power and cannot stand up to what I can do. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? He's saying death and Hades, destruction, wrath, disease, plague, pain, they have no victory because they have no authority in your life. And he goes on. In verse 15, Ephraim was the most fruitful of his brothers, but the east wind, a blast from the Lord, will arise in the desert. All their flowing springs will run dry. All their wells will disappear. Every precious thing they own will be plundered and carried away. The people of Samaria must bear the consequences of their guilt because they rebelled against their God. They will be killed by an invading army. Their little ones dashed to death against the ground. The pregnant woman ripped open by the swords. I want, you to, I want to remind you, because this seems pretty harsh, but this is a prophetic word to the people. It's you need to turn back to me or this is going to happen. It's not that he wants it. He gives us the word so that we would never have to endure it. He says, you're going to bear the consequences of leaning in something other than me. He says, essentially, it's the principle of sowing and reaping. If you're going to worship a false god, you're going to reap the fruit of that worship. You're reaping what you're sowing in this day. And he says, look at what you're reaping. You're reaping famine, you're not producing, and people are dying. Look at the status of our world. There's disease. There's plague. People are turning on each other. People are dying. There's, there's an agenda in the world to, stop, to, to try to stop even the production of people. Do I need to name it? Y'all got it? I'll name it. Homosexuality. What is the agenda? The enemy says, let's stop producing the thing that I want to get in the earth. Right? He's, <coughs> he says... These are, this is the fruit of false worship. Famine, not producing, and death. He says, but if you would turn to me, you would have more than enough. You'd be fruitful, and you would enjoy life, and life more abundantly. You see, this whole book, this whole book of Hosea is showing the people, you are not experiencing what I want for you. And it's because of you. And the church loves to cry out to God saying, redeem us, help us. 
The key is that he already did. He's looking for a remnant to reveal what redemption looks like in a people that said yes to him and no to death. People say, God help us. And God says, I did. Now show them what that looks like. And the church should be the most baptized, if you will, in this revelation that we don't need help. We just need to be birthed. God says, I've got all your needs. I'll help in everything you need. You're asking for redemption. I've redeemed you. Now let the lost see what that looks like in a redeemed life. Let the people who cry out to Baal see in a remnant of people called my ecclesia what redemption looks like. They're having problems experiencing love in the world. Show them what love looks like in the church. Show them that the young generation doesn't have to go against the older generation. Show them that there can be different ethnicities and cultures in one space. Show them what they want that they can't get by their own hand. Become my redemption story. Romans 11 says this in 2 through 5. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what scripture says in this passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel? He was, Lord, they've killed your prophets. They've torn down your altars. I'm the only one left. They're trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I've reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, Just to let you know what present time is. Present time didn't end when the Bible stopped being written. The New Testament is still being written and it's called you. Is that okay? So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Now, some translations right here say there is a remnant by election of grace. And that is where you get this false theology that some are elected for heaven and some are not. You ever heard that? The idea of election? Let me tell you what, the word election in the Bible is not a bad thing, nor is it a wrong thing. It's been defined wrong. The word says there is an election by grace, meaning all God foreknew, and the election by grace says works will not save you, but relationship and knowing will. So the lost meaning they have lost their way from their true natural and heavenly places, are elected as found by way of grace and not works. What election is by grace is you don't deserve to be mine, but if you would would start to just talk with me and recognize me and know that I am your Lord, I will elect you into your true identity. He says, there is a remnant chosen. He has chosen you. You are not a mistake. I feel like I need to say that. You're not a mistake. You have been chosen. God says, there is a remnant at this present time, which is a representation of what redemption should look like in the earth. The remnant, the people of God, are a set-apart people by grace alone. 
I am grafting you in as my sons and daughters. When you say yes to me, I'm adopting you as mine. And he says, my people look a certain way. And I call that people a remnant. It is a people who simply say, I want to look like him so others will see my God. A remnant is a people who don't get caught up in an image of anything else but in the Almighty. You will not let anything identify you except for the fact that you are a son or daughter of God. Why do you think the biggest, the pinnacle of mankind right now is caught up in how do you identify? Because it is the most important question in the world. It's just being perverted. Nothing should identify you except by one thing. Are you remnant? How am I remnant? I believe. 2 Corinthians 3 says it like this. Are y'all okay? Y'all quiet. Verse 18, so all of us who have had the veil removed, you know how you get the veil removed? You say yes to Jesus. Who has said yes to Jesus in this place? Your veil has been removed. You are no longer blind. You are allowed to see the mystery of God. He says, for all that have had the veil removed, you can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. You hear that? You can reflect what? Glory. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. I'm going to say it in a different way. Some translations and other verses read it like this. We transform from glory to glory. I'm going to read that verse in a little bit different way. We, are, we go from glory to glory as we are changed into an image of glory. We talked about glory a little bit. We talked about how glory is the weight of a thing, the substance of a thing. But there's actually a little bit deeper of a definition to help you understand what glory is. Glory is simply this, to resemble a thing. The glory of something resembles the one you're giving glory to. So when we say glory to God, you're taking a thing in the earth and saying, this does not resemble what I did. This resembles what he did. Think about Lazarus. He was dying. They talked to Jesus. Hey, your, your, your beloved friend's dying. If you love him, ain't you going to come? He says, nah, let him die. It's what's best for him. And Jesus says, it's for glory. Why? Because there is something in his death that will cause us to see a resemblance of the Father. So three days later, he goes to the grave. What are you going to do now? He says, this, this is for glory. And we know the story. Lazarus rises from the dead three days later. Who else rose from the grave three days later? What happened with Lazarus resembled 
what would happen with God as man. It was a glory. And he says, what I have for you is I want your image to be simply a resembling of who I am in the earth, and I'm going to call it a remnant. And throughout your life, I want you transformed from resembling him a little bit to resembling him a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more until you totally look like him in the earth. He says, that's what my remnant is, a people who are transformed into resembling who I am. So to embrace an idea that his gifts are not today, you're saying that who you are is the complete image of God. I don't know if I'm, if I'm trying to push through or if y'all are just munching on this. He's, he says, everything that you're becoming, if you are walking out redemption, my goal is that you be transformed into my image. So everything you say is to the glory of God. Everything you say looks like God. How you respond to sickness should look like God. How you respond to death. And Hades, oh death, where is your sting? How you respond to the things that try to stop your, to stop your destiny, you should respond in a way that looks like God. The way you treat your Judas should look like God. The way you disagree about governmental issues should look like God. How did God do it? Man, they ain't no, they ain't no Jew or Gentile. Get along. Everything we do should start to look like the Father. But we have done that down to let's get head knowledge of theology. We say, okay, well, I can look more like God if I know more about God. Satan knows everything about God and he's still Satan. Can I say this? Demons have perfect theology. They just reject it. So if it's not by head knowledge, how do we get transformed into glorious images? Colossians 3.10. Put on your new nature and be renewed, not as you learn the book, but as you learn to know your creator and become like him. You are renewed as you simply dive deeper into relationship with the one you're supposed to look like. He says... You want to start to look like me? Get to know me. You know why the disciples and the apostles walked in such an authority? Because they weren't trying to get the Torah right. They simply knew the one they walked with for three years. And they knew him to such a degree that they began to look like him to where even people mistook them for God. Even Paul would tell the church, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He was so lost in his identity that he knew when he pointed them to him, they'd be all right. Because what they saw was a resembling or a representation of God in the image of a man named Paul who used to be in a false image of a guy named Saul. And many of us, there is an image that God has for you, and you say no to that because of the cards you got dealt. 
You say no to that because of your upbringing. You say no to that because you got taught false things. You say no to that because you have had a hard life. And God says, stop putting your identity in anything less than who I am. Who is God? He's great. He's mighty. He's perfect. He's pure. He's holy. He says, I want you to look like that. And you're not going to look like that by quoting scripture. You're going to look like that by knowing who I am. If we would get to know him, we would become more obsessed with walking as a remnant by way of looking like him, rather than filling ourselves with head knowledge of him. And this whole book is God telling the people of all these pains and struggles, he says, I've got a way for you to get out of it. And it starts in verse 1 of Hosea 14, verses 1 and 2. Return. Return, O Israel. Let me say it like this. Return, church, to the Lord your God, for your sins have brought you down. Bring your confessions and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and graciously receive us so that we may offer you our praises. He says return. Another word for that is simply this, repent. Repent, your sins have brought you down. Your life of sin is simply this. You're not operating in the correct image. You are, the image that you're operating in is taking you in the wrong direction. You are operating in a false identity and it's taking you there. The word repent means not just to ask God for forgiveness. The word repentance means change your direction. How do you change your direction? By way of knowing whose identity you're supposed to look like. So when you want to look like the world, you're going to go in the wrong direction. So he says, change your direction, go in a different direction, because you were never destined to be brought down, you were destined to reign in victory. Repent, turn in the other direction by way of renewing your mind. Not by way of getting it all right at first. Renew, change the way you think about a thing so that what you identify in as your creator, what you, what you start to know, the Father, you begin to walk in a direction that looks like him because your thinking is starting to look like him. You no longer think of how can I get even, you think of how can I bless. And blessing someone versus getting revenge with someone will take you in two different directions. And God doesn't tell them, hey, I want you to repent and I want you to change direction and I want you to do it at your seat with your head bowed and your eyes closed and do it silently. You know what he says? He says, bring your confessions and say. Bring your confessions and say, forgive us, graciously receive us, so that we may offer you praise. Worship and intimacy was never meant to be only a silent experience. And the church has done repentance down to trust God in your heart. God says, I don't just want your heart, I want you to bring your words why? God gave us the ability to communicate. 
He's not just jealous for your actions. He's jealous for what comes out your mouth. James tells us that the tongue that produces words is like a rudder guiding a ship. In other words, everything you say will take you in a direction. So he says, in order to change your direction, change words. He says, bring your words to me. Silent intimacy can only get you but so far. Bring your words to him because it's part of the turning. Why? God knows how he designed you. He says, the way I designed you, you will be led by what you say. You will be led by what you agree with. You want to go a new direction? Change your agreement. We, we think it's, it's fun and games when we laugh and agree with things that don't look like God. And you wonder why you're going in that direction. Because the tiny rudder of a ship, you never notice it. It's the most unseen, not looked at thing. But that tiny rudder will cause the whole ship to stop. He says, bring me your words. The, the, the literal translation actually says it like this. We will offer the calves of our lips. Because in this time, bull calves were brought for sacrifice. So God says, when you bring your words to me for a turning... I accept your recognition of your need for me, and I will accept the sacrifice of your praise from your lips. But I will not accept the praise from your lips unless you're bringing me your words, unless you're starting to change your direction. The scary part of that is there is an acceptable praise and there is an unacceptable praise. And we can get here and shout all day, but the fact of the matter is, if, if you're going in a different direction than what you represent when you come to church on Saturday, he says, I don't need that. That's a little scary, isn't it? It shouldn't. It should be encouraging because if you're realizing that you come and praise God here and you're going in a direction that's taking you away from God, bring your words to him. These are, these are what we call keys of the kingdom. If you want to unlock breakthrough, turn a key. What's a key? The words. He says, bring your confessions. John 4, 22 to 24 says this. Is this okay? Is, is this hard? Is it? Okay. The time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. We got to remember Israel was coming giving praise to God, but it was intermixed with praise to Baal. And he's like, I don't want that. I, I don't want my altars looking like that pagan stuff. He said, I want all of you. I want all your celebrations. I want all the glory. I want everything you do to resemble me. He says, God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in the spirit and truth. You cannot just worship him because others are doing it. You can't just worship him because you want something. God says, I want you to worship me in spirit and in truth. 
that the way you walk, the way you talk, and the way you regard me is reflected in your words, which is reflected in acceptable praise. And he says, I'm looking for that people so that they will see. Because those who are caught up in the worship of everything but God, they will have no reason to turn to him until they see him. And he says, I reveal myself all through creation. You know what part of creation is? Us. You know, we, we read that scripture, he's revealed through all creation. We think it's only trees and sky. It's, it's all things in, in the earth and everything in it. The good remnant of God is a people getting so lost in his image that we no longer care about ours when it comes to praise. Flowing from a posture of spirit and truth that only comes from one thing, intimacy. You can come up to the altar and get prayed for every day of the year and it don't mean a thing if you don't go back and say, all right, God, let's start talking. And it's not only when things go bad. Because it's really easy to give God a resembling of him, of God, I need you, when your life is not going great. You know when the people of Israel started going backwards? They started producing, becoming fruitful. They had gold, they had silver, and they forgot where it came from. And what happens in the life of a lot of people who claim God, we say, okay, God, I love you, and I know you, I need you, and then life starts going good, and then you say, you know what, I'm good, I'm a good person, I don't have to go to church. Can I, can I give you a, a, little, a little secret? They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's just as detrimental for you to know what good is as it is to know what evil is. Because when you know what good is, you'll take good as your savior. What do people say in the world? I don't, why do I need to go to church when I live a good life? We were, never, we, were, we were never supposed to have a knowledge of good or evil, just intimacy. I know. It's so good. <laughs> oh, Lord. He says, why do you care if your worship or your opinion looks ridiculous to them if you're lost in the image that they don't know? He said, get, he said, get lost in knowing me. And you'll be transformed from resemble to resemble to resemble. Verse 3, Assyria cannot save us, nor can our war horses. Never again will we say to the idols we have made, you are our gods. No, and you alone did the orphans find mercy. This is what God's telling. He says, I want you to recognize something. He says, you don't need another partnership, Assyria. You don't need more systems or devices, the war horses, he says, you don't need other gods. He says, you need me. Why? Because in God alone, the orphans find mercy. In God alone is there a father to the fatherless. 
And what happens often in life is when we're going through times of need, this is what causes us to go in the wrong directions. We think the need can be fulfilled in a new partner, a new treaty, a new friend. That's why a lot of marriages fail. When your marriage starts to go south, you don't think, I need God. You think, I need a different partner. He says, you don't need new partners. He says, you don't need new war horses. You don't need new systems. You don't need anything new. He says, you orphan who are walking around without direction need me. I am the only father to the fatherless. I am the only one you will find mercy in. And many times we get so discouraged and we think if I only did this or if I didn't lose that or if I could get that one more thing. And God says, if you find yourself in me, you'll have everything you need. Genesis 1.27 says we were created to bear his image. You were created to look like the full revelation of glory. So my life is not how can I do good. My life is how can I reveal him in all. Don't get caught up in is it good or bad. Is it, does it reveal? Because when you get caught up in, hear me out. I can't tell these are blank stares or, or good stares. <laughs> if you get caught up in good or bad, you go into law and say, how can I earn my way? If you get caught up in knowing, all you ever know is what is right, what is holy, what is pure. and what's, can, I, can I go one step further? If we start to walk in a revelation of who we are, we don't need to know what the Ten Commandments are. Because every, everything we're walking in is a direction that looks like him. Now, I'm not saying we're not going to teach the Ten Commandments to the kids. Don't, don't freak out. <laughs> what I'm saying is what should guide you is getting lost in an image that this world has not seen. Repentance includes, I will not accept an image by way of how I was raised. I will not accept an image of the bad cards I was dealt. My image is reflected in who I choose to know. And then this is what he says in verse 4. The Lord says, then I will heal you of your faithlessness. My love will know no bounds. My anger will be gone forever. You realize he just spent... 14 chapters saying, you're going to die, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. Then he says, if you would just get lost in the image, my anger's going to be gone. I'll heal you of your faithlessness. Everything that is keeping you, you have access to. He says, I'm not going to hold back anything if you will come to me. I will heal you of your faithlessness. Your perfect record will not open up the floodgates of heaven. A recognition of your need for me will open up the floodgates of heaven. God says, your lack of faith is a disease plaguing your life. And he says, that disease can only be healed, not by you, but by God, by way of God, I know I need to return to you. Here I am. I need you. He says, when you recognize that, you need me and everything, he says, I'll heal the disease of your lack of faith. And what does this healing look like? He describes the healing in verses 5 through 7. He says, I will be to Israel like a refreshing dew from heaven. Israel will blossom like the lily. It will send roots deep into the soil like the cedars in Lebanon. Its branches will spread out like beautiful olive trees. 
as fragrant as the cedars of Lebanon. My people will again live under my shade. They will flourish like grain and blossom like grapevines. They will be as fragrant as the wines of Lebanon. He says, I will pour out like the dew you need to grow you into a beautiful image that I created you to be, into the thing that I can see that you cannot. He says, when you return to me, you will walk into an image that you think is not possible. What image? A blossoming lily. Beautiful. Some of you need to accept that image that God sees you as beautiful despite what everything else has told you. He says, with deep roots. You know what a deep-rooted tree is? Strong. Well, I'm weak and I can't do it. That's not your image. That is a false image that's taking you in a wrong direction. Well, how does weakness take me in a wrong direction? Because you start to find strength in other things. I can't handle this. I can't handle this, 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 this depression. So we grab a bag of Doritos. I mean, that's, that's my flow. Can I tell y'all a story? I fell asleep Thursday, woke up at 10 o'clock, and I was like, I'm going to door dash me a $40 order of Taco Bell. It was so bad, I had to repent all night long. And we're laughing, but that we'll try to find strength in places that take you out of image. <laughs> look, look, listen, he, he says, your branches will spread out like olive trees. You know what that means? It means your reach will extend because of the anointing oil on you. In other words, you'll be a blessing to others that you thought you could never reach because your image is no longer in your reach. The image is in, is in what I have created you to reach that you won't believe. I'll never be able to affect that. Not in that image. He says, there will be a sweet aroma coming from you that's pleasing to God, and God delights in that sweet worship. Great and great finds you will be abundance and have more than enough. You know what's funny about this? You've got the, 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 the picture of olive trees, and you've got the picture of the cedars of Lebanon. Well, here's the thing about the cedars of Lebanon. They don't produce fruit. But they have a beautiful smell. It was kind of funny because I, I had a couple people tonight and yesterday come tell me. They said, do, do you smell that fragrance in, in the church? And I said, no. <laughs> yeah, I was, smelling, I was smelling tacos. And I, I said, what's the fragrance? And multiple people said they smell frankincense. Now, do you know what the cedars of Lebanon produce? Frankincense. What's beautiful about that? Because there's a sweet fragrance from a tree that can't produce fruit, and there's an olive tree that does. He said, even in creation, you can't find all you need in one thing, but in me. I'll give you all of it. When your image is found in him, he says, I will bring everything you need, beauty, strength, influence, favor, and resources. God says, all you need is in me. Don't settle for one or the other. Find it in me. Verse 8. O Israel, stay away from idols. I am the one who answers your prayers and cares for you. Look, look, look at this now. 
I think this is one of the biggest things in this entire message and series. I am like a tree that is always green. All your fruit comes from me. God gives us a warning, or I'd like to say a protective decree. He says, stay away from idols. Stay away from anything that tries to take my glory. Stay away from anything that, will, that you will give worship to that will shift your image. And then he says, stay away from anything that offers an identity outside of me because in me you'll always produce. Let me say it like this. He is green in every season. Ecclesiastes says there's a time and a season for all things under heaven. But all times and seasons exist in the one who is always green. And what we think is, I have a season where I'm not called to produce. That's a lie. Because if you're connected to the one who's always green, your season will not convince you of a reality other than heaven. Let me say it like this. Don't find identity in your season of life. Because what happens is we go through seasons and we'll start to say, this is, this is me right now. You're in a season maybe where things are going a little backwards or things are getting a little tough. And you'll start to identify in that season. I must not be doing something right, but God calls you righteous. What am I not doing? Well, you're connected to the one who's always green, and he says, you are always in right standing with me. Now walk in it. Yeah, but I'm going through this season. That season exists in him. He doesn't bow to the season. Well, you don't know what the loss I'm going through, the changes at work, the changes in my family. It's a season. And no matter what that season looks like, he says, can your fruit die in that season? Sure. But if you will get connected to the vine, that's always green. That season will not prevent you from producing fruit that comes from me. I believe what the church has missed is we go through seasons of producing and seasons of not because we don't connect to the green vine. We connect to the seasons of the world. So like what happens in, in a, when a plague comes over America and the world in 2020? We let the season define the church. Right? There is always a way to produce no matter what the season is. Because our image is not based off times and seasons. Times and seasons should respond to our image. So when you're going through a season that's tough in your marriage life, you don't define your marriage by that season. Even when it's a hard season, it's a good marriage. That's called pushing through. And what happens in life is we will actually submit to a season of life and submit in that image for the rest of your life. Think about it. When you grow up in a household and there's abuse, oftentimes every relationship is affected because you put your identity is now in how you're mistreated. And God says, don't let that season define you. Let me define you. Let the season bow to who you are in me. And when we start to get in that mode of thinking, you know what he calls it? He says, 
That's my remnant. That's what redemption looks like. That's what restoration looks like. We want to see the church restored. We need to stop looking at the times and start looking to the one whose image we are to bear. Why do you, def- why do you find identity as a failure if a thing doesn't last if your identity is in one who is everlasting? Don't identify by a season. You get lost in whose image you were called to get lost in. That's the problem. But I think that that is one of the most single things that has helped me transform my image of myself. Because the only image that I'm getting lost in is him. And there are times when things are revealed that don't look like him. And I say, what am I doing? You ever been there? The beauty of God, he says, all you need to do is one thing. You don't, you don't need to come to church for 45 times to get it right. He says, I just need one thing. I need you to change your direction. I need you to repent. I need you to bring your words, and let's start changing where you're going. We've, we've made God too difficult. He is so simple and good and pleasing and perfect. And he says, I simply want you to look like the same thing. When you repent, all you need is found in him, and all you produce is found in him. Therefore, what you produce is good. Because it comes from the green vine in every season. The last verse. Let those who are wise understand these things. Let me just stop right there. When your wisdom is found in head knowledge, as simple as this is, you won't understand it. Because there's got to be something else. Yes, according to your feeble mind that cannot understand the mystery. He says, let those with discernment listen carefully. The paths of the Lord are true and right. Righteous people live by walking in those paths. But in those paths, sinners will stumble and fall. Only wise people can understand mercy and repentance in the right direction. So how does God define wisdom? He says it's a mystery. Because we can only receive true wisdom by way of intimacy. With the Father, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, you want to get wise? Get lost in who I am. Because when you get lost in who he is, everything that directs your life is no longer in your logic. It's simply in him. God, I don't understand why I should bless my enemy. And he says, if you're leaning on your, your own understanding of that idea, you will go in the wrong direction. If you know me and I let Judas sit next to me, look where that got me. It got me to the cross and out of the grave for your redemption. So he says, see the proof in me. It doesn't make sense. Exactly. It's a mystery that I'm allowing you to peer into. Well, God, this doesn't make sense and I'm supposed to, you know, tithe off my income and you'll be blessed. God says, exactly. It doesn't make sense that I gave my son to represent humanity. But it worked. 
Well, God, we, we want healing, so we got to get, you know, we, we got to get the science and we got to get the medicine. And God says, yeah, I created all that, and I can use that stuff. But if you would also seek me, look, look what happens to the ones who sought me for 50 days. Fire appeared in the room. They started talking in crazy languages, and they started healing their city. But 10 of y'all will come to prayer. Let me say it a different way. Do we think that coming here for prayer is going to be the agent of change? What if it's simply we all start praying? See, when you, when you think I say 10 of y'all come to prayer, you think these seats. I'm talking about getting, coming before the throne of God and praying. Let a fragrance of incense come out of all of our houses. Think about it. What's, what's so special about this house is that we all live everywhere. We have people that live in Bloomingdale and Faultville and Eden and Statesboro and Springfield and Rankin and Wilmington Island and Whitmarsh Island and the South Side, everywhere. And he says, if you would just get before me and seek me before everything else, those fires would ignite everywhere and this whole city would light up because you're getting consumed and getting lost in who I am. See, I, I, I'm not trying to get in the religious strongholds of it's got to happen here. When I say it's got to happen here, the here is defined by every single person represented in this house. All it takes is one thing. I want to get lost in your image. I want to get lost in your image. I want to get lost in your image. I want to walk in your ways. Well, your ways doesn't make sense to me, God. That's okay. It's mysterious. It's wise. It's good. You're not meant to understand it. And we start to start thinking like that, gosh, we would start to look so different. And people would start to wonder why. People would start to ask, what's going on? I, 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 God gave me this as I was preparing this message. He told me to say this to, to everyone that was sitting here tonight. That this is a, this church is meant, this ecclesia, this body of believers, this, this place called Relentless is meant to be a birth canal for something that this area has never seen. And how does things come out the birth canal? We endure pain and let it be revealed. You know what pain looks like? When we get criticized, it looks a little different. You know what that's also called in scriptures? Apostolic. We are a birth canal for this area, for a breakthrough that this area has never seen. But God's just not going to do it. He does it with a remnant, a good remnant. A people who say, I want to bear the image of the Almighty. God is calling us to walk in such a way that his image is revealed in the people who embrace him. Not just I believe, but I turn. I go your way, God. My direction is now governed by my relationship with you. God calls us to be the good remnant. Let us begin to walk in that, in the goodness of God. Amen.